It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 182. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So Gary, I hear you're a software engineer again. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I So yeah, I released a, an app in the, in the Mac App Store. We mentioned it last time, but what's different now is I actually told people about it. Uh, like uh, my newsletter, I made a YouTube video and all of this, and the reception has been great. I've been working for about, well, more than a year on something called Clip Tools, and it's a what's called a menu bar app on the Mac, which means it just it doesn't have its own little window or anything like that. It just appears in the menu bar, and then there's a little menu, and it can drop down to do various things. There are lots of menu bar apps, including like some of the best like VPN tools are just little. You know, you go to the menu bar and you say right. turn on the VPN. Right. Um, mine is like. It started out as a clipboard manager and it's got all that stuff in it. So it's got all the, you know, clipboard history and you could save a clip and then it'll stay there in the history and all that. And, the and then, yes. yeah, clip tools. <laughs> and then I started adding stuff to it and having fun and going back to my roots as a computer scientist and programmer and just uh, saying, what else could I do? What things do I want that all these clipboard managers just don't do and it's annoying? Um, so I started adding things to it like this uh, feature called Smart Clips, where you could you could type in your own little clip that you could paste in anywhere you want, but you could add these little programming bits in it, like a little uh, ask command, or I think it's called, uh, it's pick. You could do pick and then give it like four things to pick from. So when mm -hmm. you paste, a pop-up comes up and it asks you to pick one of these four things and it inserts that at the part of the text that you selected. But right. you could also ask, and then you could type something so you could just have somebody's name and then insert somebody's name into a paragraph of text that you know you had pre-written. Um, there's even like pick from random stuff. There's grab a selection. So you could say, grab the first clip, second clip, and third clip in these parts of the of the you know thing you're pasting. So you can copy one thing, copy another, copy a third, and then do the smart clip paste. And it puts those three items in the spots. So, and you can mix and match these inside of the smart clip. So it makes it like really powerful. And I, I built it to basically use myself for various things and uh, added a bunch of just cool features to it that I liked. You could put the date or the date and time or the date and time plus any number of seconds. So if you wanted to sell somebody, you would get back to them tomorrow. You could actually say, I want the date in this format, add 24 hours of seconds. And then Right. The date in that format would appear in that piece of text. So stuff like that, I added like functions where you could select a number like 111 and it would actually convert it to 111 spelled out. All right. All right. Um, like if you're writing checks or whatever. Um, I put in like, uh, you know, case conversion, but not just capitalize every word, but actually like do it by headline case like, style, like right? styles yep. and stuff i put in a thing called stacks where you could copy numbers like in a document you could copy like you know the number three the number 22 and the number one and then you would look at your stack and it would show those three numbers and you could recall one of them or paste the sum or the average or add a fourth number or sort them you know all sorts of things in this thing i called stacks so just tons of stuff. I, I'm sure you've heard of lorem ipsum text, right? Mm -hmm. you know, sample text. I built in a lorem ipsum generator. So you could paste in either the classic original lorem ipsum text or a headline or 
one paragraph or seven pa or 10 paragraphs or 100 paragraphs of lorem ipsum text all randomly generated. Um, uh, for the record, I, I stopped using lorem ipsum, not because of lorem ipsum, but because yeah. I found an alternative that appeals more. Oh, yeah. Uh, ba bacon ipsum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's it's basically meat, lots of different lots of variations of, of meat related words. And then you can also <laughs> there, there's an option to make it spicy. But um, so, you know, th something else to consider. I might want to add that. I do have a pending feature request, but keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, so you could you could group paste so you can like copy five things and then say paste all five. Uh, you could sort lines in place. You can, um, you know, get uh, selection information like how many words or, or, you know, characters are in a selection for times when you don't have a like a counter like I just used just before we went on the air of just typing something into a form on the web. And I was like, oh, it says it needs to be 260 characters or less, but it doesn't tell me how many characters there are in there now. Right. Hey, I can use clip tools for that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it just, I, I just built a bunch of stuff and I'm probably not done. I'm probably going to, oh, I, I forgot the, one of the biggest features is the calculator. So the calculator, you could either say paste calculation and it prompts you and you could type what you want, like one plus one. And then when you hit return, it pastes two instead of one plus one. Right. But you could also select text like, you know, parentheses, two plus three, close parentheses times two. And you could select that and say, calculate the selection and it replaced it with a 10. Or if you change your uh, settings, it'll actually keep the formula there, put an equal sign and then mm -hmm. 10 after it so and then you could look up your previous calculation so you could do a whole bunch of math work and then say oh was that answer a little bit ago and it shows you the formula and the the result and then you could paste it so yeah lots of lots of cool things in there and it's free i released it as a completely free app no in-app okay. purchases no ads nothing is there any kind of a revenue model yeah same thing for macmost patreon the whole, oh. uh, so I make I make all these videos for free, and I teach people how to do stuff for free, and then a, a whole bunch of people, you know, say, "Oh, this is valuable to me. I will support Gary at you know at Patreon." Very good. So I'm making this like you know just like my videos. This is like if this is valuable to you, but maybe my videos are not. Well, maybe this is a reason for you to support me at cool. Patreon, and and um, I I definitely see a lot of people doing that since. Uh, Thursday, when I mentioned this in the newsletter, and it kind of shot up in the in the App Store charts, and I got lots of good reviews and stuff. Um, I definitely have seen uh, an uptake an uptick in uh, Patreon response with some people that have mentioned it by name. So the, the the reason they are supporting me and Very Patreon cool. is now because Clip Tools is so useful to them. So that's great. I'm excited because I love developing software, and sure. I love this tool and how I've got this like stuff built where if I come up with an idea of like, oh, maybe I should have, you know, this little thing where you can manipulate text in this way, I've already got the whole app built. All I need to do is add a new function that says, right, okay, right. take the input, process it like this and, and output it just like I do already for other things. And you've got the scaffolding in place. Now it's just adding, oh, yeah. adding little pieces. Exactly. Yeah. So this yep. is, I want to make this even more and more weird and unusual as a tool. And, um, you know, with the idea is that maybe this replaces several tools for somebody, uh, you know, they had a lorem ipsum generator and they had a clipboard manager and they had a thing that, you know, gave them, you know, calculations or something else. 
And now they can just say, oh, no, I could just use this free tool here. And it's kind of no nonsense and it just works. And um, and yeah, so. Nice. So yeah. So question, I, I, I have a possible feature request for you already. Yeah, yeah. I've never used the tool, but I already have a feature request. Okay. Um, maybe I do it already. Maybe you do. Can you, with a couple of keystrokes, insert the contents of a text file? Uh, no. Okay. So you're wait. I, I mentioned this. And let me. I'll I'll outline what I'm doing. Um, I use a a tool on Windows called Auto Hotkey, and it basically yeah. boils down to um, almost a programming language. It's definitely not for the faint of heart, but it is mm. very powerful. And what I find is that one of the keystroke sequences that I use a lot, it's it, basically, it, it's originally designed basically to do simple text replacement. Yeah. So, um, you know, you know key, three keystrokes and I've got like the, the short codes that I use when I'm typing in WordPress all the time and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff like that. But the one I end up using the most, or I would even say saves me the most time is a keystroke that brings up a file open dialog box on a specific folder on my machine. Okay. And in that folder, I have all of my canned responses. And I double click on the canned response and poof, it's been entered into whatever I was typing into. That's uh, yeah, no, that's probably something I could add. Right now I don't access anybody's files. Like mm -hmm. I don't actually go out. So I'd have to like look into, not that you can't, of course you can do that. Of course you can, yeah, But yeah, like yeah. what sort of permissions and all that yep. stuff. And yep. is it going to complicate things for yep. people? Um, But I could see not only doing it like you said, but I would mm -hmm. love to add that as part, of, uh, as part of Smart Clips where you could actually have that special folder and then in the smart clip have like file colon and then and the name of the file and then maybe I only allow because I smart clips are always plain text um so I could do file colon and then as long as it's some file.txt right then it just you you set it up and now you don't even have to choose you just set that up set up that smart clip and then use your keyboard shortcuts and what it I out and sure. grab that file and insert it in what I find um, is that I've got a bunch of files. Yeah. But right? I've got a bunch a of selector. And I didn't yeah. want to assign a unique key sequence to each one. Okay. So all I ended up doing was having this key sequence that brings up the file open dialog box. And then it's, you know, then it's a double click. But well, whatever. Be, I mean, yeah. you know, the idea, I just, I point that out because uh, to me, doing what I do, which is so similar to what you do, um, it is a big time saver. And what makes it really easy is these are just plain text files. So if I need to change my canned response for this, that, or the other thing, it's like, oh yeah, fire up a, a text editor, make the tweak, and now all of the um, you know, all of the updates are are taken care of. I could probably and yeah. of course I put that that folder of canned responses in Dropbox. So I've got it available to me on whatever machine I happen to be using at the time. You know, I could probably uh do it as just a submenu. So you go to this submenu. Oh, cool. Called files or something. Yes. And it looks, there's a, there's a, gotta be a place for it, right? That you set up. Yep. And then it just lists in the submenu. Nice. All of the text files it finds in there. And nice. you select one. So it doesn't even have to be a prompt, but it still can be kind of like you don't have to specify it in advance. It just, every time you activate the menu, it says, mm, what text files are here? I'll yep. display them. Okay. Yep. I'm yep. going to add that to my list. There you go. <laughs> Happy to help. Okay. So, no, that does sound fun. Uh, when's the Windows version? Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it, well, the most, I have a frequently asked questions page already because one of the most common questions I get asked is, is there going to be an iPhone or iPad version? 
And of course, my response is no, right? <laughs> because you can't really do clipboard managers on the iPhone or iPad due to sandboxing. Right. And even if you could, there's no menu bar. Right. So accessing it becomes like, do you do a custom keyboard? Do you do something in the share menu and you got to dig down and have the app like come up with it? There's a, there, there are ways to do it. They're not very elegant. Right. And I am going to, you know, all my plans now are just to stick with just doing it on the Mac and right. doing cool things like what we just talked about being like, sure. that's a cool idea. I want to figure out how to implement that. <laughs> it's funny. Cause like you said, you probably could do it on a mobile device, uh, you know, a, a iPhone or whatever, but like you said, the sequence to making it happen to actually uh, using it would be so cumbersome that it would never take off. Plus the uh, people would say, well, I just want to have access. A lot of these clipboard managers have an iPhone app, but it's a companion app where you can then see your clipboard items from your Mac oh, uh -huh. and then copy one. Mm -hmm. So you're actually going there, copying one, then going back to the app you want and then pasting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's way more steps. And it's basically this, just, uh, just a way to have access to those, but you could do that other ways. Like you could just have the files shared in cloud or have a note, you know, an iCloud note with those things in there. So to me, it's just not as interesting as a developer to actually, you know, do that. Plus there's a shared clipboard on the Apple ecosystem. So if your Mac is there, you right. can copy. There's a, even a way in uh, clip tools to actually say, don't paste this. If you hold the right modifier down, it actually copies it to the current clipboard. And then being a universal clipboard, you could then go on the iPhone and paste. Paste it, right. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Cool. Hey, yeah. speaking of Macs. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, what's your opinion on the recent um, news that uh, Apple may be working on a touchscreen MacBook? Yeah, I heard that rumor too. Um, you know, I've always thought that Steve Jobs kind of had it right when he kind of said that, you know, there wouldn't be a touchscreen Mac because of the, you know, the idea is kind of ludicrous of holding your arm in front of you, <laughs> you know, to reach out to your screen, like I'm doing now that you can't see it, you know, it's kind of like what I'm, you know, it's a very different thing than holding a phone in your hand or an iPad in your hand. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's like easy to go and say, it would be neat if I could do this and you hold your hand out and you touch your screen, but you know, he tried doing that throughout the day. No, you're not going to like it. <laughs> you're going to feel that at the end of the day. Um, we all might get stronger shoulder muscles because of it. Um, I don't, I don't like it as a primary interface, but I could see the use as a like secondary, like for some things you can actually touch the screen when it makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. uh, not so it's still mouse trackpad keyboard full on. Mm -hmm. And you can, if you want, touch things on the screen at times in some apps. Uh, I don't know if that's worth it to do it. I think maybe 10 years ago, that wasn't worth it to do it. To, to the expense of building in a touchscreen into a Mac and then, you know, making the Macs, you know, $500 more expensive or whatever, and have it be like, oh, and you only use it, you know, in these couple of situations. Right. But now in 2023, maybe it's so cheap to build a touchscreen in that it it makes sense to say, okay, it's not really going to increase the cost that much. And it'll be useful in some ways. The other thing to look at is maybe this uh, touchscreen Mac is not at all like the current Macs, but is more like an iPad where you actually would use your finger or stylus to draw. So the, we've had Macs like that in the past, not from Apple, but we have had many touchscreen manufacturers make not only touchscreens that you could use with your Mac, but um, even ones that have modified Macs. 
So you buy a Mac, send it to them, and they give you back a Mac with a touchscreen, usually using a stylus. An artist would use it to draw. Ah, okay. Yeah, so you have a really nice, but of course the iPad is kind of really taken over. You know, if, if you're doing that, you probably have an iPad Pro, like at the largest screen size of that. And there's so much you can do. So, I don't know if th- this rumor is, it's weird because I just don't see Apple, I just don't see Apple doing it. But maybe if they came out with a, just a, an, one Mac that was like a tablet Mac, you know, that, that was separate from the others. It was like a, you know, not a MacBook, but a whatever. And it just worked like this. And it worked with the Apple Pencil to allow you to access graphics tools. And it was, you know, a $3,000 machine for, you know, graphic artists. Maybe It's interesting because um, obviously touchscreen has been around in the PC side for a long time. Yeah. And I have personally had laptops with touchscreens mm-hmm. and without touchscreens. And I, I certainly don't see um, Jobs' original aversion to the concept. Mm. Um, uh, but I, I do agree that uh, with you that uh, it's not a replacement interface. It's an additional interface. Mm. Uh, it's funny because years ago, first of all, full disclosure, my current laptop, which I've had now for, what, a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, not a touchscreen. It wasn't even an option. Um, and honestly, I didn't care. So I'm not wedded to the idea. But I have to admit, a couple of, several years ago, when I had a different laptop, I was visiting someone and I had brought up Google Maps and we were looking at something and something, something. I forget what all the details were. <laughs> My friend just sort of reaches over and does the pinch zoom on the, on the physical screen without even realizing that it was, in fact, a touch screen. Um, so people are definitely kind of sort of used to doing certain things with a touch screen if it's available uh zooming like that is one of them um uh i assume i suppose drawing but i i definitely agree that for the most parts if you're in the apple ecosystem and you're an artist you've got a an ipad that you're doing that on with with whatever you're you know be it an apple pencil or some other kind of of device um but yeah. i just uh I, I think it would be cool. I'm surprised they haven't done it yet, to be honest, because like I said, there are definitely some things for which it is actually not that inconvenient, um, but it's not a killer feature. Uh, if anything, if they're maybe playing catch up, um, and in their case specifically, it is muddied by the fact that the iPad is so good. Yeah. I mean, technically you can use the iPad in sidecar mode. So it becomes this second screen for your Mac. And then you can use the Apple Pencil with Mac apps mm-hmm. as uh, on a touchscreen with the Apple Pencil. So you could see some of the software works already there. I wonder if they're getting some kind of feedback from people using that scenario that says it might be valuable. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, a, a, an easy way for them to do it would be to create a separate Mac product for designers just to have one out there instead of saying, Oh, the 13-inch MacBook Pro has it, but the 14-inch doesn't. You know, like 
really kind of confusing things with, you know, and I can't see them going and saying, oh, the, all the new ones, all the new MacBooks have it. And then what are they going to do? Are they going to put it on the iMac too? Are they going to put it like, okay, then you have your Mac Studio display with your Mac Studio or Mac Mini. Right. It's like, are they going to put it on there? I mean, it, it, to actually go and update the line with all touchscreens would be difficult. That would be surprising. And, I agree. And it would be. And if it fails, it's bad. Like if they go and they say, we're going to do that. And over the course of a year and a half, update everything. And then it just doesn't, it isn't that big of a deal. Nobody cares. But I'm wondering and Apple's if, thrown billions at it and it didn't work. They might go so far as to get really radical and do a convertible like the, the Lenovo in the PC space, yeah. right? You flip it one way and it's a laptop. You flip it the other way and it's a tablet. I mean, the um, processors are the same and the operating systems are getting closer. You can already run uh, iPad apps, uh, of course, on the MacBook, you know, on, on all the current Macs. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and, and the, the thing that has stopped a lot of those apps from being used on Macs now is the fact that developers simply don't check the box saying, allow this to run on a Mac. Oh, right. Right. So people complain, well, you can't really run iPad apps on your Mac because most of them don't work, but some of them do. And the thing is that if they came out with an, a Mac that actually was like, the whole point was your iPad app will work and it will be touchscreen and it will be Apple Pencil compatible. Right. Uh, then they could, you know, maybe shame a lot of developers into finally checking that box because a lot of them are just unchecked because the developer is like not interested or didn't doesn't have the time to go and actually test it out on a Mac. How does it work on a Mac? There's, and, there's customer support issues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just about so mm. cool. So. But there's yeah. more coming from from so, Apple. So this is actually so instead of a little rumor here, this is a big big story today. Uh, the one of the major Apple rumor guys, right? The guy that works for was it uh, Bloomberg? He came out with a whole article saying Apple is almost ready to release a VR headset, and and all these details, like very specific details mm -hmm. about what it is. So it's kind of exciting because right. I mean he gets things wrong all the time. <laughs> but this is a lot of details in there for it to just be like, oh, oops, I was wrong about all of this. It doesn't exist. Like, like I could see it being like wrong on some of the details of the release time, but it's like a lot of stuff. So here is let's let's just dig into the rumor like it's actually going to happen. OK, so Apple will come out with something called the Reality Pro, and it's a three thousand dollar VR yeah. AR headset, right? That is the pro version first with the idea that a couple of years later, the consumer version will follow. Mm -hmm. Kind of makes sense. They will come out with it in time for maybe for the Worldwide Developers Conference in the spring, mm -hmm. which is a good time because the Worldwide Developers Conference, not only can they say, hey, this is just for developers, but they could also say, this is just for developers and it's not even going to be ready for six months. They've done that many times with products. Mm -hmm. So we could get an announcement in the spring and not in the first developers start talking about it in December, uh, which seems to make more sense because this seems like such a futuristic device. Um, the The main thing about this, that it will, will set it apart from anything else made, is there are cameras in it uh both facing in and facing out the ones facing in track your eyes so they could accurately see exactly what on the in the screen or the 3d space you are looking at that's not creepy the things facing out track your hands 
Okay. So the current, a lot of the current VR goggles have like a things you hold in your hands. Yes. Apple's device supposedly is not going to do that. Nothing's in your hands. The cameras see your hands. They see where they are. They see how you're moving them. And they see gestures like pinching to click, like thumb to index finger mm-hmm. it means click. And it would be after you to put the goggles on. And now you could be like Tom Cruise in, in uh, whatever that movie was that he was in. It, uh, it was a Philip K. Dick movie. And he was moving his hands all around. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so that's kind of interesting. And that's the whole, and that's like, pushes it at that's the whole unique apple thing like nobody else has that okay uh they're also going to make it look cool they're not going to be plastic they're going to be like aluminum and glass um you know with cushioning and stuff did you Um, say ar in addition to vr yes so So yeah you're looking through so the camera so yeah so the interesting thing is supposedly that you will be able to see the wearer's eyes through them so if you walk into a room and somebody is using this uh-huh. They don't are they aren't like a you know they don't have to take them off to talk to you. They can right. look right at you and you could see their eyes and they could be hmm. like, oh hey, yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. I just gotta finish this. Um so that's interesting. And there are cameras facing out that can map the whole room. So in AR mode, they could actually place 3D objects and labels on the real objects that you're seeing. And so that's kind of interesting. You could switch between these two modes. Um Two of the main reasons, uh, main things for them are going to be one is virtual meetings, and supposedly there's going to be a one-on-one FaceTime mode, where it actually I don't know where it gets the 3D model of you, but it's a 3D model of you and a 3D model of the person you're talking to, and you look through the uh, through the VR goggles or maybe it's an AR mode I don't know, and it's like you're the other person's there with you in the room. Interesting. And for they, for whatever they, reason, it makes you. me think either of Zuckerberg's metaverse where they don't have legs. Wow. Or or um, Futurama's uh, head in a jar. Yeah. Um, suppo- so supposedly that one-on-one mode will be realistic 3D. Interesting. There will be a multiple-person mode where because of bandwidth, it's not possible. And then it will be the emojis that you see on like Apple devices, which are kind of akin to the uh Facebook little legless people. Although the Facebook legless people, in my opinion, look kind of creepy and the Apple ones look kind of cute, but maybe it's my, my thing. (laughs) You're you're Um, not biased. (laughs) No, the, uh, so virtual meetings is a big thing. Um, Also immersive video. So they're apparently are developing some stuff with, because they have Apple TV plus now, but Mm -hmm. hit shows and Oscar winning movies, right? So they're developing some of their content and maybe other companies like Disney to, where you can have interactive video. So perhaps 3D movies, which we know are kind of a kind of a thing, and they kind of exist where you can look around and you're in the middle of a room or something like that. Maybe it's what mm-hmm. I'm imagining. Or or can maybe walk around in a scene. But also they bought a company a while ago that supposedly specialized in 3D um, sporting events, live sporting events. So it could be you end up with something where you can go and watch a, say, a, a football game. And not only do you see it in 3D and could you move around, but you could jump to other camera vantage points, maybe and even cameras that float float above the field and stuff. Virtually walking across the field or something well, during, yes, during play. That could be what they're trying to go with um, there. Um, there's also the idea that it could be, it, this was you know kind of prominent in the article, it could be a display for Macs or will be a display for Macs. 
So you look through the goggles and you see your Mac screen. There is no screen, <laughs> but you see it there. And perhaps it could be 3D. I It didn't mention it in the article, but I've always thought it would be really interesting if you saw your Mac screen, but AR actually augmented it with like your curse, your pointer wasn't actually pixels on the screen anymore, obscuring what was behind it, but was actually hovering above the screen. Right. So you're looking at the real pixels of the real screen, but some elements come out, maybe little tags, like if you're a developer and you're going through code, one of the things is, you know, sometimes it expands code for you to see like mm -hmm. the parameters and all that. And it pushes all the text around. Well, instead the code doesn't change, but those things actually come off the screen and are part of the augmented reality. That could be really cool. Um, supposedly there's super high resolution stuff. So it could really mimic actually having a high resolution screen uh, where there isn't even a screen there. And they plan to use that for movies. The idea being that it feels like you're sitting in a movie theater or watching a large screen. Right. So right. And virtual reality goggles have done that before, but uh, these might be even higher resolution. So is he saying when we might actually yeah, get well, confirmation of this? Well, he's saying possibly spring, possibly before the Worldwide Developers Conference. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it's supposed to be, it might be battery in pocket with a cable attached to lower the weight of the of the glasses. Right. I know yep. some of the ones now have the battery on the back of your head um, and heat too, that would reduce. Um, the, uh, let's see, a speaker, there'll probably be some sort of basic speakers in them according to the article, but for the real experience, like if you're gonna watch a movie, uh, the idea would be to put your AirPods Pro in, which of course are fantastic sound. So if you think, you know, if the, mo if the movie looks good, then you have those in, you've got a fully immersive experience. Um, and also they already, the AirPods Pro already do the 3D uh, spatial audio. So I could already do it where like, you know, if you're watching, if I'm watching my iPad and moving my iPad and I turn my head and my left ear is now pointed towards my iPad, I hear it like the sound is coming out of the iPad, even though I'm wearing AirPods and it's not coming out. So if you have like a virtual space uh, where you're seeing, watching a movie and you can look around, the voices would actually come from the proper places which would be probably one of the most interesting features of the whole thing and and one last thing interesting little side note about like how apple might make money off this they don't says they don't plan to make money for a while that they may actually sell these at cost and may even lose money on them for a while uh, to try to you know get them going get developers using them mm -hmm. but they may be able to get a nice profit from just having more people coming into the Apple stores. Because who's gonna, you know, these things come out, who's gonna walk past the Apple store when there's all these stations, you can go and try these out for free. <laughs> and the more people that walk into Apple stores, the more chances somebody may decide to buy an iPad. <laughs> and that might be like a whole profit center for these, even if they're losing money on their own. I think grocery stores have been using this model for yeah. a very long time. <laughs> it, 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 does make, it does make sense. I mean. Like me personally, I've walked into Apple stores to see something. Oh, I want to get the new whatever it is, but I want to just see it, right? But I wouldn't, I mean, I would obviously get these right away to test them out if they're, unless they're like, you know, oh no, they suck or something, but I would probably get them right away. But if I didn't, I would definitely be like, oh yeah, if I'm going to the mall today, there's the Apple store, I'm going to wait in line probably <laughs> and at least try these out to see what they're like. Um, 
And yeah, and boy, when you're in the Apple store, some of those products look so good. It is hard. I mean, I've got I've got everything I need, right? But boy, uh-huh. you walk into an Apple store and I say, oh, the big screen iPad Pro, look at that thing. Everything, that is really, you know. Everything start, plus one, yes. <laughs> yeah, you always start like, you know what I could use that for? <laughs> you know, and you start the whole process of, of uh, you know, oh, you know, I don't have new Air, the AirPods Pro I have or the originals. There's AirPods Pro 2 now. Maybe I should, uh, I got to get out of here. But if I, if people walking <laughs> in are going to buy stuff. I mean, it right. is. It is true. There's going to be a greater than zero number of people that buy stuff because they walked in to try out, you know, the three thousand dollar headset. I also think that uh, something you alluded to earlier, the fact that Apple is um, now a content producer, content mm. creator, um, that could also be their uh, uh, ultimate revenue stream. Is even if they get these pieces of hardware out there at cost or below cost, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible that some very lucrative um, purchases or subscriptions or whatever uh, that uh, somehow uh, enable all of this wonderful virtual reality content, uh, be it movies or whatever, um, that could be that could be the way. My guess is that you know your current Apple TV subscription mm. will not include virtual reality. Um, you know, at its current cost, right? It's probably no, going to be an add-on, maybe. just like just like HD is an add-on for things like YouTube TV and such. So maybe, or maybe um, not. Maybe it's I, I, sure, maybe not. But that would be another, and perhaps a more traditional revenue stream. Um, I mean, let's face it; they're going to be motivated if, if these things are going to succeed. They need market penetration. That means they need to get the headsets out. That means that the headsets themselves have to be as cheap as possible mm-hmm. uh, within reason of course um so that uh, it's 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 an easier decision for more people to have them then once they have them then you've got the opportunity to you know upsell them um certain things be it one off or subscriptions or yeah. who knows oh there is one thing i forgot the article mm-hmm. does actually reveal what it will be like to use them and that was kind of fascinating because basically it sounds like Apple wants to go with the familiar interface. So you put these things on, you turn them on it, and it looks like the iPhone. There's a bunch of app icons. Oh, sure. And you could move your, I guess you move your eyes and you do hand gestures and you select an app. And many of the apps would be familiar, like Safari. You could just click on <laughs> Safari and then go and surf the web and have right. a screen in front of you. You can click on your reminders and your calendar and your, you know, all the standard apps that are on all their operating systems will just be there. So as soon as you put it on, you feel like, oh, I know how to use this. This mm-hmm. is, you know, it's not something new to learn. So very yeah. interesting. Interesting. And it could be an interesting year if this, uh, this actually happens. So one of the things I wanted to bring mm. up, completely finally walking away from the Apple ecosystem here, yes. um, is uh, it, it's troubling. So, and the reason it's troubling is not because of, of the actual issue at hand. Of course, for the last month or two, we've been talking about the problems that LastPass has had. Um, they suffered a breach. It was discovered that they weren't really encrypting everything they said they, they, we thought they were encrypting, um, yada, yada, and everybody's moving from LastPass, myself included. Um, there was an article that I got pointed at this morning, basically that asked um, if Bitwarden, one of the two extremely popular 
LastPass alternative recommendations um, didn't also have some issues with encryption on its server side. And the article goes into some depth uh, analyzing the Bitwarden white paper and how they do security, how your data actually flows through their system. Uh, and says, you know what, this piece right over here, um, this means that your, uh, you know, your vault is uh, just as, uses the same level of security that LastPass did, uh -huh. um, which is kind of a, an, I don't want to call it an inflammatory statement, but it is a statement that I think will get a lot of people's attention in the wrong way. And I say that because, um, yes, for one thing, Bitwarden definitely is not doing a certain phase of encryption as strongly as uh, we would want them to. Uh, but um, it differs from LastPass in that um, LastPass, uh, like I said, exposed more information than uh, Bitwarden is exposed or you know would expose if there were any kind of a breach and there has not been one um so it's it's frustrating to watch the discussions and so the, there's an article the article i'm talking about we'll link to in the show notes for sure bitwarden's design flaw on server-side iterations if you're into encryption technology and understand how it all works have fun with it you'll get to see how many times they run various hashes on various keys and you know the, the number that's a hundred thousand should really be three hundred thousand or something like that that's kind of the, the crux of this particular problem um <laughs> But it got me to thinking so. Um, mm. For one thing, I want to be super, super clear. If you're using Bitwarden, keep using Bitwarden. It's fine. Um, this is not an issue for most of us. And you know, if you happen to be a high value target, um, A, you know it. B, you're probably already doing a bunch of other stuff to keep yourself extra secure anyway. Um, if you want to basically deal with any perceived issue that this particular technology difference happens to, to make you nervous about, mm -hmm. add two characters to your master password. Mm. Seriously, that's it. All of a sudden you have just overcome this limitation simply by having a good strong master password. Um, and two characters actually gets you the, um, uh, the equivalent uh, I, I don't have the phrase at the tip of my tongue right now, but um, there, there's a, a, a an amount of entropy that you're looking for from um, many of the keys and um, encryption and, and hashing that's going on. Um, the number of iterations that they're talking about changing increases your entropy by like 1.6 or 2 or something like that. Adding two characters to your master password increases the amount of entropy by like six bits or something like that. It's 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 silly. So, like I said, when in doubt, make your password longer. You'll be fine. Mm. Um, but it got me to thinking, and we've run into this over and over and over again. People want certainty. Mm. They want. Uh, I've re referred to it before as the, the, this is a binary world. People want binary answers, but there are no binary answers, even though we're dealing with ones and zeros. Everything is shades of gray. Everything is a degree of security. There is no such thing as absolute security. Uh, so when you find a perceived shortcoming in a tool, uh, the question is, okay, how do you react to that? 
Um, there are folks, in fact, I spoke to someone earlier today whose initial reaction was to say, well, I guess I'm moving to one password. Hmm. No, 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 no. You don't have to do that. It, it, it's it's not that kind of a thing. You are secure enough. Um, and if you don't think you're secure enough, add a couple of characters to your master password. Make sure that master password is long and yada, yada. Hmm. Um, you know, all the, the litany we've been talking about literally for weeks when it comes to, to this kind of stuff. Um, but... Like I said, there simply are no absolutes. There is a point at which we all have to understand that security is a spectrum and our goal is not to be secure. Our goal is to stack the deck against being unsecure or insecure or whatever you want, however you want to refer to that. You want to stack the deck in favor of your security. And you do that by using good tools. You do that by using them in the proper way. Um, and you also do that not by necessarily having knee-jerk reactions to uh, problems that you may hear about, um, even if you don't necessarily understand them. So I wanted to at least bring that out because, like I said, this is not new. We run into these kind of reports about problems with various pieces of software um, for years, for decades. And yet uh, the number of individuals who are actually directly impacted by pretty much anything I've heard about for the last three or four years is next to nothing, mm. right? Um, you know, you hear about all, the, uh, I, I'm subscribed to a couple of newsletters or telegram channels or whatever, where I'm getting notification of, hey, this vulnerability has been found, this vulnerability has been found, this vulnerability is found. Um, I've yet to find anybody who has been impacted by those vulnerabilities. Now, to be clear, if you are a business, if you are a high value target, if you are someone who is regularly a targeted, uh, you know, someone who's regularly targeted by hackers or by nation states or whatever, then yes, you should be taking seriously, taking security exceptionally serious. You need to be doing even more things, but all you're still doing is more things to stack the deck in favor of staying secure. The average consumer isn't directly impacted by a lot of this stuff. And it worries me sometimes how quickly we are to, um, to react and jump ships. It's one of the reasons that uh, would, with respect to the last pass thing, as bad as it was, I mean, they definitely have some very questionable design decisions and uh, some really poor uh, communication strategies out of the company. Um, the bottom line is that make your password longer and you're probably fine. Uh, it's not a panic situation. And that's one of the reasons that through everything that I've talked about, I've been working through this very slowly and deliberately to try and understand what the real ramifications are so that so as not to um, uh, bring panic to a situation that doesn't require panic. Right. Um, and yeah, and I think- some of the panic, I think there's tears because imagine this, imagine you do have that person that has a completely random uh, 15 character long password and they are on top of everything, right? And then they hear some news or whatever and they say, oh, I guess I'm switching now. And they announce that to the world. Oh, don't use you know LastPass anymore or whatever. And then the next tier down is somebody that's not like that, that has an eight character password that's their dog's name and two numbers. 
And they're like, oh, okay, I should listen to their advice and switch. <laughs> so, you know, you've got, it's kind of like, it's just weird. I can't think of a good metaphor now. Something about like, you don't know how to swim and somebody says there's sharks in the water and you're like, well, I'm not swimming now. It's like, well, you shouldn't have been <laughs> swimming in the first place. But the, um, yeah, I mean, the idea is like add those, if you don't have enough characters in your password, your master password anywhere, or it's not randomly generated or whatever, then you know, that's, you could take care of that problem. Um, but so many people just don't like how many people are like, don't use LastPass, but yet their own personal security measures that they've taken, right. You know, are not what they should be. Right. It's like you fail. Yeah. Maybe LastPass failed, but you're failing worse having like <laughs> non-unique passwords, short passwords, passwords with actual uh, words and names in them and things like that. So you have to, you know, Chances are, if your password is going to be hacked, like a, a random person in the world, if your password is going to be hacked, it's not going to be due to a data breach. Correct. It's, it's yep. going to be due to you either not having as good a security, like with your passwords, or possibly being, you know, conned or scammed out of your password using one of the many flavors of phishing attack. I was going to say that I, I would claim that the the highest probability. Um, of getting a password compromised these days mm -hmm. comes from phishing attacks. Yeah, uh, but in part because they're they're becoming more sophisticated. There's there's you know you have to I suppose give credit where credit is due. <laughs> um, yes. But but the bottom line is that that's something that honestly there's no technology that's going to pre prevent you from doing that if you've a mind to do it. Um, you may get warnings that you'll bypass, and I see that all the time. But you'll still end up entering your password in this fake thing and giving it to the to your hacker. It's also one of the ways that hackers will sometimes be able to bypass two-factor authentication because they'll throw up a two-factor authentication method message um, that yes. you respond to that they then immediately turn around and respond to the real two-factor authentication message that they've received. Um, so that's part of it. And the other part of it is simply malware. Um, you know, if you've got a key logger on your machine, it doesn't matter how strong your password is. Uh, they're going to log it. They're going to log it in all of its length and complexity. Um, so, you know, keeping your machine safe and secure is most important. And one of the ways to do that is, of course, to have long, strong passwords that are really, really hard to remember and actually use, which is why we say use a password vault, use a good one. Um, if you're starting out from scratch, don't choose LastPass. If you've got LastPass, make sure your password is nice and long and consider moving someday, but it's not a panic. Yeah. Um, I have noticed uh, companies are getting better with two-factor authentication preventing phishing scams. There was a, a site uh, that I go to regularly that I get my little code by an SMS message. And I got the message and instead of one little line that said, here's your code, and then the code, uh, suddenly my screen was half full of stuff. I was like, what is this? And it was basically instructions saying, do not reveal this code to anybody. It will only be used in these circumstances. If somebody has on the phone asked you for this code, please do not provide it, all this stuff to prevent uh, phishing attacks. And I was like, right. oh, that's useful. That should be on all of these. Right. <laughs> because just the message saying, if somebody has asked you over the phone or by messaging for this code, do not give it to them. Don't I'm like, it. yes, because this code will never be used in that situation legitimately. Right. So yeah, because that's of course is for those that are like scratching their heads what we're talking about. The common scam is somebody has your password to an account somewhere. 
has your ID. They don't have your two-factor code. But they, they do call have your you up. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they do have your phone number. Easy to easy to get that. They call you up and say, and it may not even they may not even talk about the site that they're wanting to get into. They just say they're testing something out. Or there's a problem, whatever. Uh, they're here to help. Could you please confirm your identity by reading the code that I just texted to you? They, of course, did not text you anything. They just tried to log into your bank account. Right. And the bank sent you a code. And there are they want that code from you. And you they hope you don't notice that, you know, it's a, your bank's, you know, your bank sending it to you. Because a lot of these, you'd say your code is, you know, dash dash and then a right. bunch of numbers. Right. And that is really bad. So yeah, so that's how they're trying to get around that. And it's great to have a more detailed message telling you, uh, you know, be careful with this. This is somebody's so asking funny for this. Dangerous. Because text messaging is also one of those things that people have visceral reactions to when it comes to two-factor authentication. Mm. Um, because there are, I'll just say it, there are multiple ways um, that you can uh, play around with text messaging. You can, you can, there are, <laughs> there's a scenario apparently where somebody actually infiltrated a phone company or purchased some cheap phone company and therefore was able to fake sending text messages or intercept text messages or something like that. Um, so it's, it's um, uh, vulnerable to SIM swapping where somebody yeah. basically steals your digital phone number from underneath you. Um, and the scenario that you just outlined, it's one of those scenarios where people can call you up and make it look like they're the phone or, you know, they're just doing something innocuous where in fact yeah. you're intercepting. I have people who say, Fine. I won't use text message. I won't use SMS for two-factor authentication, and they won't use any two-factor authentication. Ugh. Yeah, which is, I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Even at its worst, SMS two-factor authentication is better than no two-factor authentication at all, and its worst isn't bloody likely, right? It's just, exactly. it's not one of those scenarios. It's like I was talking about before. It's it the it's the wrong reaction. Yes, it's not perfect. Nothing is. And it is way better than having no two-factor authentication at all. Sure. Do I prefer to use something like Google Authenticator? Absolutely. If it's available. Would I recommend a hardware solution like YubiKey for high-value targets? Absolutely. But for the average consumer, you know what? If SMS is the only thing, sure. If you don't have a smartphone, but you do take text messages, SMS is the way to go. Mm -hmm. But it's not an excuse to not have two-factor authentication. Right. Anyway, yeah. that little yes. rant aside. <laughs> yes. Um, so I have been reading or actually listening to, that's your thing. You listen to audiobooks. Yes. Um, I've been listening to a book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World, and I am just eating it up. Um, for the longest time, I've, I've long considered myself a jack of all trades because I, I just love getting my fingers in all sorts of different things. Um, there are, as you know, there are a lot of aspects to doing the businesses we do from managing servers to writing articles to editing and recording videos to, I don't know, all, just all sorts of random things. And I enjoy doing them all. I'm not a specialist. Uh, and that actually, in my thinking, has added a lot of value to, to my career, to my life, uh, to my flexibility, 
And therefore, because I have this preconceived idea and this book supports my preconceived idea, I love this book, <laughs> right? It's one of those things where, yeah, it just, it makes so much sense. When you have a breadth of experience, you have a lot of different things to draw on when you're trying to solve problems or accomplish tasks, more so than some people that might have specialized in one and only one thing for the majority of their lives or careers. Now, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cast dispersions on people that that just like do that. I mean, I, I know of people who, uh, you know, back at my Microsoft days, their reason for existence was the guts of Microsoft Word, or their you know the, the thing that got them to work every day was um, working on the NTFS file system for ten years. Mm. That's not me, but if that's that's the kind of thing that that gets you going, that's great. But the point of the book here, so far anyway, because I'm only, I think I'm about a third of the way through it, is that, again, by having a breadth of experience, a breadth of, of knowledge, um, you know, dabbling in a lot of different things, uh, not necessarily being the deepest possible expert in all of those different things, you have this ability to bring un ideas from seemingly unrelated fields into um, you know, whatever it is you happen to be dealing with at the moment. Anyway, highly recommend the book for uh, uh, for anybody actually who's in technology, but just in general for life. It's it's it started talking right now about um, the education system and how our education system is actually um, broken, but in, in at least in a in a very specific way that uh, does not foster this kind of. Um, breath and multiple discipline problem solving approach. Anyway, anyway, recommended. Cool. Uh, I'm kind of in between books. Uh, just finished reading the one I was talking about last time and, and haven't gotten far enough in a new one to recommend it yet. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, not much. I have been watching the new Game of Thrones series and, uh, you know, the prequel. And, oh, yes. I'm, and I'm glad to see that it is uh, kind of the same quality of of show that the mm -hmm. uh the other one was so yeah mm -hmm. you know it's it's like i was, wasn't really interested in watching it but then i was like well i'll probably like it if i started watching it because i liked game of thrones mm -hmm. so and sure enough that's true so i'm about you know halfway through it it took an episode or two for me to really they had to spend some time world building and yeah. uh, but once they did that um <laughs> and i think we, we i may have mentioned actually game of thrones on a previous episode i think so yeah uh, but um, the the big lesson I think they learned from the original series is that you need more dragons, more dragons, and and, <laughs> and indeed there are more dragons, so it's fun. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, uh, the second season, hopefully sometime soon. Cool. So the Teh podcast is brought to you by well us. Um, the other thing that came up this week a lot. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I have started a, a I've published a course on uh, using Macrium Reflect to back up your uh, PC. It's one of my recommended. It's probably my most recommended backup solution these days. Um, and of course, moments. I mean, like within a week of my starting to create the course, record the course, record the videos, uh, the folks out at Macrium decided to discontinue their free version of their tool. Uh, which of course I had included already in one of the videos that's still in the course. The uh, So what I've done is I've published an article, Macrium Reflect Free is going away, uh, askleo.com slash 152585. 
And it discusses what your options are. If you're using Macrium Reflect free, if you've been considering it, um, I don't think you can find it anymore, but regardless, um, there are actually three very valid paths and um, they're all good. So that's it. Cool. And uh, for me, I, I guess I, I did have that video I mentioned earlier about Clip Tools, my intro to it, which was meant to be basically a, here's what it is. You can dig in further if you want. But uh, based on the response, I will be doing more that dig into specific features in upcoming mm -hmm. weeks. Yeah. Yeah, but it sounds like one of those things where there's a, it seems like it's one of those utilities where there's just a lot of hidden gems. It is, you know, and it's even crossed my mind to build a course on my own tool that I would probably make a free course. Um, although you, there you could make it a paid, right? It's a free tool to so make it a paid course, and that's how you make money. But no, I probably, but there's, I tried to make a basic quick guide to it, and it ended up being 18 minutes long. So I was like, wow, okay, there's a lot here. And I was going fast, like not explaining everything in detail. So then I did a really basic thing, skipped over a bunch of features and just here's a couple examples and, you know, got that down to a reasonable time. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'll probably do like smart clips as a tutorial and stacks as a tutorial and all of that. So we'll see. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those weird opportunities that just sort of happened. Yep. All righty. I think that wraps it up for yet another week. The show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh182. If you've got a comment or a question for us, leave it there. We'll see it and we'll react even. Thanks as always for listening and we will see you here again real soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.